Exodus chapter 3 tonight. I spoke from this exact same text to our teenagers the Wednesday night before we left youth for youth camp. And the title of that sermon was Preparing for Spiritual Encounters. And you'll understand why that applies to this text. And I am preaching the exact same text to you tonight. But it's actually going to be quite a different look at it and maybe an absolutely different topic. So Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now let me stop there and tell you why Moses was such a smart guy. Because he married a country girl. I'll just encourage all my young men, find a country girl and marry her. I went to North Carolina to find mine, and she's as country as country gets. You say, how do you, you might be reading too much into it. Okay, your dad's name was Jethro. Where else is that at? Okay, so uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, the Bible says, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw nigh, not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of uh, Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, thus, that, uh, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you this my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Tonight I want to focus on three main thoughts in our passage, and they all are very similar in the construction of the English language. The first thought we're going to take a look at is, here am I. The second thing we're going to take a look at is, who am I? And the third thought we're going to take a look at is, I am that I am. 
When we were going to junior camp some years ago, I was actually part of junior camp at this point. I was a camper. And throughout the week, we had many activities very similar to this recent youth, uh, junior camp that we had. One of the activities that we did throughout the week was go to a human maze at the stockyards in Fort Worth, Texas. Many of you are probably familiar with it, but it's essentially a giant mouse maze for people. And they let all of us kids go into this maze, and it's actually quite large. It's, it's a lot of fun, to be honest with you. But the objective is not getting through the maze, as odd as that may seem. You see, because in the maze, there are several stations with hole punches on them. And they're unique designs. For instance, one will be a star, one will be a square, one will be a circle. And they're perfectly placed so that you will have to pretty much adventure throughout the entire maze to find what hole punch you're looking for. Now, they give you a card with, say, about five of these on them, and you have to travel through the maze... And you may very well pass the exit to the maze, but unless all five hole punches are punched, you've not accomplished the task. It's almost like they set up checkpoints along the way. Tonight, I simply want to talk to you on this awesome subject, how God can use little people to accomplish great big accomplishments. I don't know about you, but sometimes it amazes me at how large and magnificent and majestic our God is and how frail and little I am. And what's even more amazing is that he chooses to use me as an instrument. But sometimes I feel like there's maybe checkpoints that we as Christians have to arrive at before we're qualified to be used for these amazing tasks. And no doubt Moses faced them, and I want to share them with you tonight, three checkpoints along the path of accomplishing great things for God. First of all, I want to point out to you the response of Moses. Look at verse number 3. Verse number 3 of Exodus chapter 3. The Bible says, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, everybody say the next three words with me, here am I. Now the first thing that we as Christians have to do to be used in this magnificent ministry that God has given us, to be used to accomplish great things for the glory of God is, we first of all have to respond to his call. And as silly as that may sound, and as, let's say, elementary as that may sound, you have to understand, unless you respond to God's call, there will never be action to answer His call. I want to first of all point out to you that it's a very clear call when it comes. Now in the Bible here, Moses is just doing his daily life. He's just herding some sheep back and forth from well to land to pasture to well, and he's just doing what he does on a daily task. And the Bible says he beholds off in the distance a burning bush, and Moses goes out of his way to find this burning bush. And he says, Behold, I will now uh, step aside to see this great thing, why the bush is not burnt. And when he arrives at the bush, the Bible says when God sees that Moses had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush and spoke directly to Moses. And God's first words were, Moses, Moses. And what was Moses' response? Here am I. It's very clear. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you study your Bible, I believe you'd be very hard-pressed to find people who had trouble finding God's will for their life. Now, we as Christians oftentimes have difficulty finding it, and I would give you several reasons for why we find difficulty with it, but the number one reason is most of the time we're not fully submitted to God to hear it. When you're willing to hear God's call, it will always be a clear call. I bring to your mind the example of Gideon. How many of you remember Gideon? And, and the Bible says that uh, God comes to Gideon and speaks to Gideon. It's actually an angel of the Lord. And, and, and Gideon hears the call and, and hears that he's going to be used to help God in this magnificent, marvelous miracle. And Gideon, not only, we're very familiar with his fleece, are we not? But did you know that three different times Gideon confirmed God's call on his life? The first time, the angel appears unto Gideon, and Gideon says, If I've now find, found favor in thy sight, stay that I may bring back a present. And the angel stays. And what does Gideon do? He goes into his house and he makes this meal. He makes supper. What better way to impress an angel than to make him dinner? And I, as long as you're a good cook, that's okay. If I made him dinner, he's like, grilled cheese, this is the best you could do, Andrew. Well, Tostinos or that, angel. That's what I have to say. But Gideon makes this marvelous meal comes back to the angel, and if the angel had not waited, Gideon would have taken it that he had not found grace in God's eyes, because that was what Gideon said. Now then we fast forward just in the exact same chapter, how Gideon uses a fleece, and Gideon comes to God and he says, now God, if this is really your will, if you want to use me, if you, wanna, if you want to use me in some way, what I need you to do is, I need you to make this, and I studied, and I read this out, and I'm not completely convinced that the fleece was outside of his abode. Now, that sounds odd, but if I said I put something on the floor, would you think that it would be outside? And the Bible clearly says he places the fleece on the floor. Now, it very well could, but I, I don't know if it was or not. But the Bible says he places the fleece on the floor, and he says, Now, God, if it's your will, if you want to use me, I want you to make the fleece wet with dew, and I want the ground to be completely dry. He wakes up the next morning. What happens? Oh, the, the fleece is soaking wet. In fact, the Bible says he wrings it out, and there's a whole bowl of water that he gets from But the ground is dry. The next day, Gideon says, Lord, just bear with me. Lord, just, just don't be angry with me, but I, this time, could you just make it where the the fleece is dry, but the rest of the ground has dew on it. So Gideon goes to bed. The next morning he wakes up. What happens? The, the ground or the floor is soaked and the fleece is dry. I wonder why Gideon confirmed this call of his life. You know why? Because when you're doing what God wants you to do and you know it without a shadow of a doubt, that builds a lot of faith in your heart. You see, when I'm told to do something for preacher here on staff, and preacher says, Andrew, I need you to go take care of this. I need you to go move the buses. I need you to go fill up the buses. Whatever the task may be, if preacher said it, it's kind of like, up to do, let's go, let's go. And then I go, Sean, go do, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's usually JT that gets the brunt of that. But if I'm commissioned by my authority figure, it's much easier for me to go. And if I get any flack from anybody, I just say, look, I'm doing this for so-and-so. Yeah. 
If God's call is clear in your life and you've confirmed God's call on your life, boy, you can charge hell with a water pistol at that point because you know God has called you to do it. The reason I'm so moved by Garrett's testimony is Garrett was not saying at one time he was uh, never going to plant a church. What he's saying is, I'm confirming in my own heart, regardless of what any of you think, that I am called to be a preacher of the gospel. You know what? Ten years from now, when Garrett goes to start that church and he stands up the first Sunday morning, he's got two people in his congregation, there's going to have to be something in his heart that says, it's bigger than just my want. It's bigger than just my hopes and dreams, but God has called me here. Boy, when you've got God's clear call on your life and you've confirmed that call on your life, it sure makes plugging along a whole lot easier. It's a clear call. Secondly, I want you to notice this. It's a fear call. A fear call. Look at verse number 6. Verse number 6 of chapter 3, the Bible says, Moreover, he said... I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The magnitude of the moment overwhelmed Moses so much that he almost did not feel right to be there. Almost like if God was speaking, it was almost as if Moses didn't deserve to be there. If you recall in your mind, there's actually a very similar story in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says, and in, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now there's a whole lot going on here, but Uzziah was the one who protected Isaiah during his ministry. And now that Uzziah is gone, Isaiah really doesn't have the same protection. And at this moment, God gives Isaiah a vision. And Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. The Bible says he even saw the, 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 the smoke fill the temple. He saw the, uh, the seraphims floating above the throne of God. And, and the Bible says they had six wings, two to cover their face and two to cover their feet. And, and with two they flew. And they said, holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts. Boy, I couldn't imagine the magnitude of that moment. Now, what was Isaiah's reaction? Well, Isaiah's reaction was actually quite similar to Moses's. He fell on his face and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he doesn't feel worthy to be there. And, he, and he's taken back by the moment. And he, it's as if He should never have deserved the right to be in God's presence. And can I say, we don't either apart from the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. How often we neglect going into God's presence, but it is truly the greatest, most marvelous gift God has ever given to man. The fact that Jesus died and tore the veil in two. Both both Isaiah and Moses have the same reaction. They fall in fear at the God of the universe. They fall in awe and wonder at how marvelous he is in comparison to how wicked we are. And in Isaiah's story, the Bible says, And then I heard the Lord say, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And Isaiah 
here am I, Lord. Send me. Oh, Isaiah did not feel worthy. And that was demonstrated by his face to the ground. But if God was asking for volunteers, Isaiah said, I'll be the first one to sign up. Because I've seen you and I know the task, Lord. If you're that large and the task is so small, God, I'll go anywhere and God, I'll do anything. God, if you're so big and mighty and the task is so small and feeble, sure, Lord, I'll go for you. Christian, many times the thing that disqualifies us from the marvelous miracles that God wants to see us accomplish is a simple fact. We don't understand how marvelous our God is. How big He is. We have not gone into His presence to see Him high and lifted up. And to see His Word describe Him as He is. And see Him revealed to our spirit. And our picture of God is much smaller than it should be. A fear call. You see, if you don't respond to God's call, you can never take the second checkpoint. If you're tonight apprehensive of God's call on your life, And oftentimes, God's call is not asking you to move. I want you to understand that. God's call may be saying, you can stay right where you are, just better yourself. How about you get a little Christ in you so that Christ can do something through you? Really what being qualified to answer God's call is just simply saying this. Lord, whatever your plan is, that's what I'll do. No matter how uncomfortable, no matter how unbearable, Lord, I trust your goodness and I trust your ability to provide. Lord, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. He responded. He said, Lord, here am I. Secondly, I want you to notice this, the reluctance. The reluctance. In verse 11, we see our next few words. The Bible says, look at your Bible in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 3. The Bible says, and Moses said unto God, what's the next three words? Who am I? Lord, who am I? See, at this point, Moses isn't the great leader yet. He's not been molded and made into the man that God can see in the future. He's just a normal guy. And he looks at God and he says, God, out of all the people, why would you choose me for who am I? And one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is the the verse that says in Psalm 8, verse 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Lord, why would you care about me? God, why would you use me? God, I'm so unworthy. And no doubt that's exactly how Moses felt right here. I want you to notice, first of all, He felt ineligible. We're not very far removed from why he's in the wilderness in the first place. If you'll recall the story, Moses one day goes out and he sees an Egyptian man smiting one of his brethren, smiting a a Hebrew. Uh, And this was the Egyptian's job, but it still set wrong in Moses' heart. So Moses acted upon the man and slew the Egyptian man in anger. Now, he buries him in the sand, and we talked about that a little bit last week. Tries covering up his sin. The next day, Moses wakes up, and I guess he's taking the same daily stroll through, through the, the working grounds of the Hebrews, and he sees there in the grounds 
a Hebrew man fighting with another Hebrew man. I don't know how they were fighting, but they could have been verbal jousting. They could have been at fisticuffs. I don't know. But the Bible says that they were, they were uh, uh, not together. And they, he saw that. And he looked at them and he said, why are you fighting amongst your brethren? Why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you fighting one with another? And they look at Moses and they, he says, what are you going to do about it? Who made you king over us? Who made you prince over us? Are you going to slay us like you slew the Egyptian man? That very moment, guilt set in. And Moses says he was afraid because the thing had been made known. He was trying to hide it, but somehow it got out. And now we find him just a chapter later in the wilderness, and God says, Moses, I want to use you to do a great thing. I want you to to go deliver the people of Israel. I want you to deliver my children. Moses, you're the the guy for the job. And Moses, no doubt in the back of his mind, is thinking, boy, I sure didn't feel like the guy a chapter ago. I remember when the anger that I had in my heart got the best of me. And tell you what, I sure didn't feel like God could use me then. Chris, you ever been there? You ever been so low? that it feels like God can't use you? Well, I've been there. You ever feel like God is wanting you to be something there's no way you could be, and God says, here, I've got something for you to do, and you say, oh, God, how can I help others? I can barely even help myself. One of the things that oftentimes keeps us from walking the path that God wants us to walk is we disqualify ourselves. God is saying, come with me. I'll take you on this great adventure. Let's go. I've got great plans for you. You say, well, God, I'm still just uh, trying to plug along. I just can't get victory in my daily God. I just, I just don't feel qualified. And Moses, no doubt, felt ineligible to serve God. But did you know that God uses people that might not always have the cleanest past to do great things all the time? I call to your mind Paul. It wasn't always Paul. He used to be Saul, and he used to persecute the church. In fact, he was the man that consented unto Stephen's death. I I recall to my mind Rahab, who was not a Jew, who did not know the Lord. And she was living in Jericho, and she hid the spies, and God used her in a mighty way. And in Hebrews chapter 11, her name is mentioned with tremendous faith. Oh, there's not always people who feel qualified. In fact... When God came to King Saul before he was King Saul and just he was just Saul, he said, well, Lord, am I not a Benjaminite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? Am my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore speakest thou so to me? Even Saul didn't feel worthy. And what's unique about that is earlier in the chapter, the Bible goes on and brags about how manly Saul was and how just strong he was and how he was just smarter and more cunning than everybody else. And Saul says, Lord, I, I just don't feel qualified to do what you're asking me to do. The Bible even talks about Gideon in glowing remarks. and says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Wouldn't it have been a shame if Gideon and Saul had never stepped up to the plate because they couldn't get over their own insecurities? In fact, it was Paul that said uh, uh, that he had a, a, a thorn in the flesh. 
And he had asked God three different times to remove the thorn in the flesh, but God wouldn't take it away. And Paul even said, lest I be exalted above measure, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And then Paul goes on to say these words, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Oftentimes, God uses your weaknesses and the things that you would use to disqualify yourself. And he says, I've got plans for you. Just like this, Moses later on says, well, Lord, I, I don't even have speaking ability. Lord, I, 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 can't, I can't do any of this. Lord, I, I'm not qualified. And the Lord looks at Moses and said, oh, my Lord, I am not an eloquent speaker, neither heretofore and, and nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, notice this. Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. You say, Brother Andrew, I, I, just, I, I just don't seem like the model Christian sometimes. And God looks at you and says, who's the one who decided what model Christianity was? Who's the one that gives you the ability to walk the Christian life? You say, Brother Andrew, I just don't see how I could ever disciple someone. And God looks at you and says, uh, aren't, aren't you following me? Are, are you not a disciple of mine? And then you can teach others also that they may be able to teach others also. Look, we, we, can, we can make excuses all day, but excuses never get anybody anywhere but the same place they've always been. Don't let your insecurities disqualify you your ineligibility to disqualify you. And we as Christians will no doubt have this checkpoint in our life. You see, it's, it's baffling. It's almost oxymoronic that God would want to use us in His service. It just doesn't make sense. Now, I don't really do this much. My dad taught me a valuable lesson growing up. Always carry a pair of gloves in your pickup truck. Now, you say, why? Well, oftentimes, dad will be in a suit, and he will uh, take his gloves out of his door there, and he'll put his gloves on, and he'll fill up his pickup truck with gas. And then he'll take the gloves off and put them back in the door, and he gets to fill up his truck in a suit and never smells like gas. It's a great idea. Oftentimes we'll be out at the ranch and we'll be working together and, and uh, we'll be moving hay or we'll be doing something and we'll be greasing up the plow or something like that and my hands will just be getting worn out and it'll slip and I'll bust a knuckle and no doubt, without fail, my dad's got a pair of Plainsman leather gloves in his back pocket. You know what I've noticed about gloves? They're not any good by themselves. You see, a glove will lay there until someone has its hand in it. The glove is literally not the tool that accomplishes the job, but is often used as a tool to accomplish jobs. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like a dirty old worn-out glove. But when I am in the hand of God, great things can happen. Don't disqualify yourself and don't be reluctant to say, 
God, whatever you would have me do, Lord, I will do it because I know when I'm in your hand, great things can happen. The second checkpoint is reluctance. Thirdly, I want to share with you this and we're done. This is a checkpoint that you'll have to understand deeply, and that is the reliance. Now, actually, the reluctance and the reliance go quite hand in hand. Because if you don't fully understand your inability, you'll never understand God's ability. The reason we as Christians must come to the checkpoint of reluctance is we must realize when we do things in our flesh, they will without fail always fail. The flesh is uh, just a tool that our our old mortal bodies uses to uh, accomplish things of the devil and things of sin. And one of the biggest problems in modern churches today, and I'm not speaking of uh, whatever type of modern church, I'm saying in modern Christianity, one of the biggest problems is we have a bunch of people trying to live the Christian life by themselves. In the flesh. And it never works. What's worse is our pulpits are filled with men of God who are much more comfortable in their own skin. They never seek help from a higher authority. They never consult a higher authority. And no doubt they probably were one time great businessmen. They have a mind for financial matters. No doubt some of them are the best speakers in the world. But I'll tell you this, I'll give up all my wisdom. I'll give up any talent that I may have. I'll give it all up if God would just say, I'll use you if you will admit you're completely useless without me. And many times I have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I know I have no good thing in me apart from that is of you. And we have to understand that our reluctance will be abolished, if you will, because of our reliance on Him. Look at verse number 14. Verse number 14 of chapter 3. The Bible says this. We've saw, we've looked at the Bible when it says, here am I. We've looked at the Bible when Moses says, who am I? And now God answers, I am that I am. And He said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me. Now, this word here literally means the existent one. It is God saying, I am everything you could desire, Moses. I am everything good in this world. I am that I am. I am am more than you can imagine. I am greater than you can imagine. I am that I am, Moses. There's no one over me, no one higher than me, no one better than me. I am the Lord God of gods and King of kings. That's what he's saying. But I want you to notice, until we concede our plans, we'll never be able to answer God's call. Now, what you may not know at this point in Moses' life is he's actually developed a pretty good life outside of Egypt. In fact, the Bible says that he one day happened on some wells, uh, uh, on a well, and there were some, some ladies out there uh, uh, giving their sheep drink. And these shepherds came and were bullying these ladies. And they come and they're going to run them off. And Moses is off in the distance. 
And Moses sees what's going on, and Moses, being the gentleman that he was, goes down and he helps those ladies, and he fights off the shepherds, and those ladies get to water their sheep. Well, the ladies return to their father, and that, that man is Jethro, country girls who were shepherding. It's not taking it out of context. I just want you to know. And their father looks at them and says, how have you returned so soon today? And they tell the story, well, there was a man there who helped us. He helped us fight off the shepherds. And not only that, but he also helped us give our, our sheep to drink. And the father looks at me and says, well, why is he not with you? Why did you not invite him to dinner? You see, country girls that can cook. Those are all requirements. Study the Bible, teenagers. You'll find you a good one. It's in there. And Moses comes and it, the Bible says that uh, Jethro gives his daughter Zipporah to Moses to wife. That's why the Bible says that Jethro is his father-in-law. So Moses has a wife, and the Bible also says that uh, Zipporah gives him a son. Moses has got his own little family. He's got his own little gig. He's got his own little home place. Man, Moses isn't really doing all that bad. And Moses comes to a burning bush one day and the burning bush basically says this now give me liberty Moses I've got great plans for you but you're going to have to give it all up for me that's what he says it's not quite all that different from what he asked his disciples to do Peter and Simon Peter's brother Andrew there they're fishing one day and Jesus walking down the beach, he looks at them, and they're there mending their nets. And Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets. Weren't even concerned about their property. They just said, okay, Lord, if that's what you have me to do. I'm reminded of Jesus coming to the uh, tax collector there. And he comes to the tax collector, and he says, follow me. And the tax collector gets up and follows him. Huh. Something about that. I'm sure that Peter had things to do. I'm sure he had, well, he had an occupation. I'm certain of it. I'm actually certain he was married. He left it all to follow the Lord. Uh, the tax collector just got up and left his job. And sure, Lord, I'll follow you. In fact, the maniac of Gadara was begging the Lord once he got saved. He said, Lord, let me go with you. Lord, let me, let me follow you. Lord, I want to do this. Is that your heart? Is your heart like that of the disciples and of the maniac of Gadara? Lord, whatever. Lord, if your desire is for me to leave family and leave comforts and leave home, Lord, if, if your desire is that, Lord, I'll go. I'm thankful for people that have that heart. I'm reminded of the Cone family, how they got on that airplane. I think the flight's like a 24-hour flight. Left their family, missed Christmases, missed birthdays. The only real connection they have now is Skype. Miss uh, Mary and Brother Adam are over there right now. First time they've seen Brian and Jamie in almost two years. You know what, Brian's not any more of a man of God than you can be. He just one day said, Lord, whatever. Lord asked him to follow him, and Brian said, okay, Lord, I'll concede my plans for you. 
Lord, if you've got bigger plans for me than what I have for myself, Lord, I'll do it. What if we had never heard of Peter? There's a lot of fishermen. There's only one Peter. A lot of normal people who don't accomplish great things just spend their life bringing in fish after fish. I wish I could be one of those people, actually. I'm terrible at fishing. A lot of people just have average lives, average jobs. But we all know Peter's name, don't we? You know the difference between Peter and all those other people? He was willing to give it all up to follow Christ. It's the only difference. And the only time your life will blossom and bloom is when you're in the soil of God's will for your life. Conceited plans. Love the song, the the hymnal writer wrote, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race when we see Christ. He's just saying, Lord, anything I've given up in this life, I know it will be worth it in that one. And I just believe that we as Christians need to come to the point where we're willing to concede our plans for the glory of God. Finally, we're done. We have to understand that this term tonight, I am that I am, gives us complete provision. Several times throughout the ministry of Christ, Jesus uses this term, I am. In fact, eight to be exact. Now, there are more I ams than that, but there's only eight I ams because... For instance, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So technically, that's three. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So, But there are eight different times in Scripture where Jesus says, I am such and such. Now, he used the bread of life. He used the light of the world. He used, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. But if you study all of these, they're all unique to the moment that he is currently in. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Well, I mean, when Jesus used the term, I am the bread of life, earlier in the chapter, he had already given bread to some folks. And I can prove to you that those who followed Jesus were Baptists because all they were following him for was the meal after church. They come to Jesus and they say, When Moses led the children of Israel, God gave them manna. So, Jesus, can you give us manna? That was a spiritual way of saying, we'll take uh, some uh, some fried chicken, Lord, and we'll take, uh, obviously that's manna, right? It's angel food, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Lord, we'll take some tamales. uh, That's my best Spanish version of that. Tamales, right? Uh, Lord, we'll just take some sweet tea, some chicken express sweet tea, if you don't mind. That'd be good. Jesus will will just have some manna. And Jesus says, you're just following me for the bread. And then Jesus steps forward and says, I am the bread of life. You seek measly bread, but if you had me, I am the bread of life. Jesus looked over the pastures there near Jerusalem and all the sheep on these green pastures, and he looked at him and he just says, I am the good shepherd. People probably didn't know what he meant, but he says, the thief cometh for to steal and to kill and destroy, but the good shepherd layeth down his life 
Jesus was saying, I love my sheep so much, I'll give my life for them. That's why he's the good shepherd. Every one of these is unique to the moment that Christ is in. I am the, uh, I am the vine. I, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. They're all unique to the moment that he's teaching in. The statement, I am that I am, simply means I am all that you will ever need. Every scenario you find yourself in, I am plenty in it. Any situation you find yourself in, I am already there and I am your help. I am your strength. I am your buckler. I am your rock. I am your high tower. I am your defender. I am that I am. Here's the point and crux of the matter. These journeys that Christ may ask you to embark upon may seem overwhelming. And if you're truly seeking God's will for your life, they will be. It's overwhelming to me for me to open the Bible and share the gospel with someone. You know why? Because it's the most marvelous, most impactful moment of anyone's life. And I'm being used in it. And I don't feel worthy. Anytime I stand to preach the gospel, I sit and I make notes on my computer and I I get up and I sit in the chair and I say, Lord, Lord, I beg you, Lord, please help me. God, if, if you're not in this thing, I'm going to fall on my face. Lord, please, I beg you. I don't feel worthy. I, I, I don't feel that I'm capable. Lord, my, my inabilities will overwhelm me when I get up there, and I just don't feel like I am the best candidate for the job. Anytime I get up to sing a song, I say, Lord, if it's me, I know I'll mess up. Lord, if it's me, I know I'll get the words wrong. Lord, if it's me, I'll know I'll be doing it in my pride and in my flesh. Lord, I beg of you, help me, because I don't feel worthy to do this for you. You know what God's words are to you when you have those same emotions? I am that I am. The task may seem overwhelming. Like you're going to drown when you step foot in the water. And God says, I am all that you will ever, ever need. And I am plenty during that moment. What's unique about where I live. Many of you don't know this, but we've created a Wolfenbarger block. We're all right there together. So basically what I'm saying is mom's chickens wake us all up in the morning. Dogs, Dad's dogs always bark and always... Actually, when you live there, 26... How old am I? 26? Something like that. Cody, how old am I? Okay, I'm 26. All right, me and Cody are like a few days apart. That's why I was asking. Okay, 26. When you're 26 and you live there all your life, you don't even hear the dogs. People come in and they say, how do you deal with that? It's like, what? Are they barking? I don't even know. We've created this little block there on Thousand Oaks and Brushy Knob. It's really cool because our kids get to be with one another. They get to play and we can hear each other yelling at each other uh, from the back door. It's awesome. One of the greatest things about it, though, is when we run out of something, 
we can always call. And it's not like knocking on a neighbor's door where they can be like, no, we don't have any sugar, and they can lie to you. You see, you live with family long enough, you'd be like, no, you're lying. Give me some sugar, Mandy. You selfish Mandy. The other day I was making deer jerky, and I was experimenting, trying to do my own. And I I was following this recipe, and the recipe called for liquid smoke. It's not something that I carry in my cabinet often. But my mom literally has anything in the world you could ever want in the kitchen. So I called my mom up, Mom, do you have uh, liquid smoke? Yep, I've got hickory mesquite pecan. Which one would you like? Oh, amen, Mom. Way to go. That's what I'm talking about. Are they all organic? No. All right, good. I walk over, and I get what I need. And it's pretty cool having that security. We've run out of milk. We've run out of eggs. We've lost children, horses. I mean... And we always called family. The horses got out the other day. Hey, 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 we need, to, we need to start a search posse because the horses got out. And we all go get our badges on and we search for the horses. It's unique having that security there. Did you know that that's very similar to the way that God provides for his children? God has revealed to our faith the fact that he's always there. And the Bible says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So in your darkest times and in the hardest leg of the journey, all you've got to do is pick up the phone and call the one in charge and say, Lord, do you have this? Lord, can I get a pecan-flavored serving of grace today? I think pecan grace would be good, don't you? Pecan everything else is good. All we have to do is understand that God will always provide to those that he has placed on a path. I couldn't imagine him stand, Moses being stuck at the border of the, uh, the shore of the Red Sea and him looking up to God and saying, God, what do I do? And God says, well, I'm cutting out of options too, Moses. It's not the way our God works. God always has an answer if we will just simply open our hearts and be willing to go.